today on Media Download. From Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Joe Amditas, Associate Director of the Center for Cooperative Media here at Montclair State University. With this regular podcast, we hope to give you some of the freshest insights into business news, media, technology issues you'll hear anywhere. Joining me today to discuss how professional journalists go about fact-checking statements and other information as it trickles down through official channels is Eric Umansky. Eric is Deputy Managing Editor of the renowned nonprofit news organization ProPublica. Yesterday, ProPublica reported on a change to President Trump's trust that allows him to pull money from his businesses whenever he wants without publicly disclosing the transaction. Since then, Press Secretary Sean Spicer went on the defensive and said he was not aware of any changes to the document and that just because a, quote, left-wing blog reported it doesn't mean it actually happened. ProPublica fired back last night with an epic series of 15 tweets linking to the actual clause that was changed and providing evidence that ProPublica has a history of holding all those in power accountable. What a week, Eric. It's only Tuesday. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It was fun. So first, let me just congratulate you. I've shown this tweet storm of yours to several of my friends and colleagues, and the the general consensus seems to be that it was lit. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Whatever Thank that you. means. My mother would be very proud. I'm sure she would. I'm sure. She... So so t- walk me through this. Tell me. Give me some of the background here. First, tell me a little bit about ProPublica and uh, your role at the organization and uh, sort of what your daily uh, routine looks like. Sure. ProPublica, as you mentioned, is a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Uh, we've been around for nine years, and I actually came on uh, when we started back in 2008. And our job, as I said in the tweet storm, is to hold uh, those people in power accountable. Um, uh, to put it another way, when people in power are involved in injustices, Our job is to expose those things. And the way we do that, as I pointed out to Mr. Spicer, um, is not with invective, is not with rumor uh, or, you know, hot takes. We do it with facts. The way I've put it, usually after a beer, but I'll say it today, is, you know, we are in the business of evidence-based outrage. And we are serious about all parts of that. And, you know, we also started right when, uh, in the end days of the Bush administration, and we continued on right through eight years of President Obama. And, of course, our coverage is not limited to Washington. Uh, you know, we've taken on big issues and big institutions, um, you know, frankly, across America and across the world. One of the big stories you guys covered outside of Washington was a, uh, I think you were an editor on this project, the Wall Street Money Machine. Talk a little bit about your experience reporting on such sensitive issues when it comes to these big power interests that are going on there. They're wheeling and dealing left and right, and you have to get in there in the middle of it and sift through facts from fiction. You have to understand complex financial situations and markets and exchanges, something that the average uh, American might either roll their eyes or fall asleep at. Um, how do you how do you go about diving into a world that you may not have grown up in and and trying to figure out what's what? Um, you know, the, the truth is the answer to that is inevitably not easily. 
um, and in a way that, uh, you know, usually takes a lot of time, a lot more time than we often anticipate at the beginning or that we had hoped it would take. The example that you brought up is a particularly good one in the sense, as you've said, that the world of high finance and Wall Street, particularly during the boom years, was incredibly complex, incredibly complex. And we had the challenge of understanding it. And uh, even once we understood it, then you have the secondary challenge of conveying that clearly to readers. And, and both of those things were like breaking rocks. The specifics of that story were basically we actually had colleagues from what is now Planet Money. I don't know if your listeners know that. It's a very um, it's a great uh, podcast done by NPR that was um, initially started during the financial crisis to help understand, to help listeners understand the world of finance. And, and they came in and said to us one day, and this is in 2009, said, you know, we've heard from people on Wall Street that people knew that the market was slowing down, and, but they, they were making money off of uh, continuing the ride, and they didn't want the ride to end, so that they figured out ways, underhanded ways, to keep the party going for a while. And they didn't have any more details than that. And we set about thinking, well, that's, a, that's actually an interesting thing. And our reporters started looking at uh, the issue. And one of the things that they found was that there was a hedge fund called Magnetar, which is named after a, if I'm remembering this, a black hole or a dying star. It's one of the two. Oh, um, and Magnetar was a hedge fund that, as it turned out, was... They were trying to create these, uh, they were investing in these exotic mortgage products. And when there weren't enough of those mortgage products, what they ended up doing was encouraging the building of more of these mortgage products. And then <clears throat> the way that they were actually investing is that they were betting against them. They needed products to bet against. And so what they were doing was encouraging products to be made that then they made sure were bad products. They stuffed bad things into them, and then they bet against them. So uh, we did this with This American Life, and it was Ira Glass who had the insight of, oh, I see what they did. It was the producers. So they this, so this makes this this makes a lot of sense now, and you've had a lot of time. Speaking of which, I can hear in the background, ProPublica must be bustling right now. I can tell you guys yeah. must be working very hard. What is that? I hear the newsroom in the background. It, it's a, it's a live working newsroom. I mean, uh, it's, you can hear the animals in the background. <laughs> so you, you, this makes sense for a story like this because this, I mean, without the context of the imminent collapse of the stock market, this makes sense because of the time. And you started by saying it takes time to do these things. But I want to talk about the efficacy of fact-checking, especially when it comes to the urgency of something like a presidential election, or if you go back even further, the lead-up to the war in Iraq, when the falsehoods w that are exposed um, after the fact are sort of almost irrelevant at that point because the actions that the falsehoods were based on have already been taken. Talk to me a little bit about how about that world, the world of, of, of the balancing, the urgency of getting the truth out there to stop a potentially catastrophic action or decision versus the idea of methodical um, procedural journalism that makes sure that you don't make any mistakes and underwrite uh, mind your own credit. Right, and, and, and that's one thing that has really changed enormously for us and, and the world of journalism in the 
seven years uh, since we published that story. Is it six years? Uh, six or seven years we published that story. That's how long I've been around. I can't even remember the years. And, um, you know, we, the, the, your ability to publish quickly is um, much larger now than it used to be. As you, as lots of folks saw, we had a something of a spat with the White House press secretary and who called us a left-wing blog for one of our stories. I'm sure we're getting ahead of ourselves, and we'll get into the details of that. But for the context of this, we were able to respond to that with facts in 45 minutes. And in part, we were able to do that because we had tools that didn't exist six years ago. We could just put it on Twitter. We didn't even have to write a lengthy piece about it and go through detailed editing. Um, you know, the, the thing that I wrote that we put up on Twitter, it was institutionally vetted, um, and we were careful about it. But we just had the tools to respond um, uh, much more quickly. And, and you're right that being able to respond to falsehoods, um, to rumor, to whatever it might be, in nimble ways is something that's incredibly important. I'll give you another example. Um, we had a very big project last year called Election Land, in which we had, um, it was a kind of collective effort of 300 different newsrooms, I believe, a thousand different journalists, all looking at ballot access issues on Election Day and in the uh, time preceding Election Day impediments to the ballot, voter ID issues, voting problems, whatever it may be. And we had this enormously valuable and detailed picture of the problems that were happening on Election Day and, frankly, the problems that were not happening on Election Day. And so when a few weeks after the election, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend, President-elect at the time, Trump, came out and said, you know, there were two or three million people who voted illegally without any basis in evidence, zero, right? We were able to, within, I think it was about two hours, maybe a little bit less than that, come out with, it's another time that we did a tweet storm. It was one of our first big tweet storms where we came out and said, President Trump has said this. We were watching very, very closely. We had people in 40X states. We had... You know, people looking at social media, we had X, we had Y, we, we had Z, and nothing like this ever came up. There is zero evidence for making this allegation, and in fact, the larger historical context is nothing like that has ever happened. And uh, so, dear reader, your president-elect was just not telling you. So is this something you would say, this is, so how do you make the determination then to say whether or not something is a flat-out lie or it's a misstatement or a misleading statement? How do you make the determination and how do you assure that when you say that you're not damaging your own credibility as a, as a news organization? So, uh, you know, I, I, I am a fan um, broadly, and I think more than a fan, a deep believer that journalism is about telling the truth. And telling the truth involves making judgments of description, right? It involves synthesizing information and explaining to readers, um, um, putting words to acts, right? That, just to take another example of something I covered years ago, that um, people uh, in CIA custody were tortured, right? 
Now, you can argue with whether that's a fact or not from whatever perspective, but the truth is, by the standard accepted definitions, um, that is what was happening with those people. Being waterboarded was torture. Um, being put in stress positions was torture. And that you're, you're, you're doing a disservice to your reader to avoid uh, terms that are true for fear that they may be controversial, right? So I, I am a fan of using the truthful terms when the evidence supports it. I think with lie, lie is a particularly tricky thing and something we've been quite careful about because of lots of people have pointed out uh, lie is to presume intent, right? And I think one needs to be careful about that because who knows what's going on in somebody's head. I, I will say that um, once there is, once evidence is, and for example, I think actually the voting falls into this, the, the evidence is so widely available, for example, illegal voting, that it just strains credulity to think that um, uh, President Trump does not know that the assertion that two or three million people voted uh, illegally is just, is just not true, right? That's just, there is no plausible way he can believe that given the evidence. So, so how that's would you... the thing where I think it actually is fair to say he's called, it's a lie. I do think it is something, though, that we need to be quite careful about. I hear you. Uh, so for the young up-and-coming journalists, the student journalists here, we're at a university, so give me something of a takeaway. How do these, how do these folks coming up through this process, um, what can they take away from this when it comes to challenging local governments, university governments, and anyone in, in a position of power um, as a rising journalist? So, you know, again, to me, it's two different issues. Um, one is the issue of, of Thinking that your job is not to simply state facts, but is to tell the truth. And, you know, that's a tricky thing that involves judgment, but that is what journalists get paid for, to make professional judgments, not value judgments necessarily, but, but, but judgments about what is the accurate description of X or Y or Z, and to not be afraid of using muscular language when, when again, the evidence supports it. Um, it's what uh, uh, the NPR's media reporter David Falkenflick has called earned conclusions. That is a crucial part of journalism, that you get earned conclusions, right? You, you have earned, uh, you, have, you have looked at the information and come to the conclusion about X, and you're transparent about that. So that is what I would say, which is that do not be afraid of earned conclusions. You know, another important tenant of journalism is being transparent about what you know and what you don't know. And one of the things about lie is it involves what's going on in somebody's head. And it is always very, very difficult to know what's going on in somebody's head. Hence, it's a term to be particularly careful about. I completely agree. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's always challenging to know what's going on in others' head. But we do know what's going on in your head. And that is a definite allegiance to the truth. If you are interested in learning more about ProPublica or signing up for ProPublica's newsletter, you can go to go.propublica.org slash sign hyphen up. If you want to know more about this podcast of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. Thank you, Eric Umansky, Deputy Managing Editor of ProPublica. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Joe Amditas. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me.